This episode of Accelerate is brought to you in part by Discover.org. Looking to close four times as many deals in half the time? Discover.org's industry-leading human-verified sales intelligence gives you all of the data and insights like direct dials, org charts, planned projects, verified emails, and executive moves. You need to stop wasting time on research and spend more time talking to the right decision maker with the right message at the right time. Their team of 250-plus sales researchers do all the work so that you don't have to. 2,500 companies are already using Discover.org to win more deals. So check them out at www.discoverorg.com. That's www.discoverorg.com. It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 575 of Accelerate. Joining me on this episode is Brian Lambert. Brian is Senior Director, Sales and Service Enablement Solutions for Charter Communications, and he is the co-founder of the Sales Enablement Society. And so it's no surprise we're going to talk about sales enablement today. I mean, this is a topic that's getting a ton of attention, and we're going to talk about what sales enablement is, what it really means, and why sales enablement is important to your sales efforts and the impact it can have on your sales productivity if it's done correctly. If you'd like to see the summary notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 575. In case you missed at the beginning of the show, this episode is brought to you by our great partner, Discover.org. The Discover.org platform is a game changer for sales, marketing, and staffing professionals. This feature-rich sales intelligence platform is supported by 250-plus researchers who are continually updating the contact data and providing account-specific insights to help sales and marketing teams break ahead of the pack. So you want to see the product live, you need to go to discoverorg.com forward slash schedule hyphen demo. That's discoverorg.com forward slash schedule hyphen demo. Friends, just want to remind you that on Monday's show, I announced that we're going to be making some changes to the Accelerate program schedule. Beginning next week, first week of October, we're going to be going to three episodes, new episodes per week. That's Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. Fridays are still going to be the hugely popular Frontline Fridays with my co-host, Bridget Gleason. We're going to be making some exciting additions to that show as well, so you make sure to check those out. Next week, Monday, is also the second anniversary of Accelerate. And we can't thank you enough for your support. Well over a million downloads, hundreds of great episodes, uh, just a couple of the milestones. So we're really interested in your feedback. What's been your favorite episode? Who's been your favorite guest? Maybe a favorite topic we've discussed. If you need to review the episodes, you can go to andypaul.com, my webpage. Click on podcast in the nav bar. Do the little drop-down menu, the second option there. Click on that. That will provide you a complete list of all the episodes that we've produced so far. And then we'd really like you to leave a message for us. Tell us you know, what has been your favorite episode, who has been your favorite guest. You can do that right from the homepage of andypaul.com. Lower right-hand side of the screen, you'll find a red button that you can click to let you send us an audio message. Make it very simple. No email. Just click right there. Leave us an audio message. Everybody that does, leave us a message, an audio message about your favorite episode, favorite guest, favorite topic. I'll send you a signed copy of my best-selling book, Amp Up Your Sales. So you make sure that you remember to include your physical mailing address when you leave that message for us. Again, that's at avipaul.com. Finally, before we get to the interview, I do want to remind you that we want to hear your questions also about sales. What are the challenges you're facing, a specific challenge that you need help with, that we can help with? So if you send your question to me at andypaul.com, each week I'll choose one question from those submitted the previous week to answer on my Friday conversation with Bridget Gleason. 
So the winner, the person who submitted the question that we answer on the air, will win a free half-hour coaching call with me. That's a $250 value. So you can send your questions to andy at andypaul.com, or as I mentioned before, you can leave an audio message for us from the homepage of my website, andypaul.com, lower right-hand corner, red button, click, but send a message, and leave your message for us. And uh, those who do it that way will actually play that question on the air. So remember, do that today. Don't delay. All right, let's jump into it with my guest today, Brian Lambert. Welcome to Accelerate. Thanks for having me. All right, so I lead off the interview with the standard question I ask all my guests, and that is, in your opinion, what's the single biggest challenge facing sales reps today? The single biggest challenge would be, to me, uh, getting the right inputs uh, that you need to be successful. So a lot of times we focus on the output side of being a salesperson or a sales manager and what we're doing to engage, what we're producing, uh, our activities, how we allocate our time, et cetera. Uh, But oftentimes, the way in which we make decisions, and and a lot of times I would even submit our, our productivity, our relevance, our ability to relate to customers, et cetera. All of that is really coming from our input side. In other words, what information are we gathering? What are we reading? Uh, What research are we doing as researchers of our customers? Uh, How are we staying up with trends? How are we actually becoming an expert in our field uh, in order to offer advice to our customers? And so I think it's time for salespeople to to really balance this equation, not only on what they produce for sales results or what outputs they they, they make and and take, but but also uh, to really be disciplined on uh, improving their filter, improving their sources of information and data, and really being a student of uh, their customers, their market, and their products. And their craft. Absolutely, their craft. I think uh, it's a big uh, uh, evolution in sales. I mean, Forrester just updated their death of a salesperson article. <laughs> um, you know, the, uh, the sales profession has to evolve to be a, a lot more technical, a lot more business-centric, and a lot more uh, sophisticated, if you will, as a trusted advisor, because a lot of the lower-level sales jobs or, or more simple sales jobs uh, I shouldn't call them lower level, but it's more simple in how they sell, more commoditized sales. Those can be replaced by websites and maybe even artificial intelligence down the road, I don't know, uh, or apps even. So the role of a salesperson uh, has to evolve to be able to, to solve complex problems, and that requires a lot more professional acumen uh, on how you appear, how you show up, how you're able to whiteboard, your your soft skills, your ability to uh, analyze and synthesize information and, and be able to connect the dots for your customers in ways that they haven't understood before. Well, it's interesting. I was just reading some research over the weekend uh, that <laughs> said from a, a survey of, of buyers, and a sort of a survey about why buyers don't buy, and, and the findings they had is that customers prefer dealing with uh, friendly and mildly knowledgeable <laughs> salespeople because their, their assumption was that those that were more knowledgeable uh, weren't as personable, I guess. Uh, and I just, I was like having trying to make sense of that whole thing. I was like, huh, it seems mm-hmm. like it seems like what you really want is a friendly person who's really knowledgeable. But uh, to solve that problem, right? But, uh, but I think it really speaks to me. It spoke to really the fact is that that hidden in there, what the customer was saying was, yeah, the relationship, the interpersonal relationship is still really key. Set aside the business acumen aspect of it. If you don't start building that trust right up front, it doesn't yeah. matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I would submit that the um, knowledgeable rep these days 
is, in my opinion, very, 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 very knowledgeable about their products. And uh, that's not what customers want. They want solutions. And uh, if you're very, very knowledgeable about them and what their real world problems are and how they need to make decisions and their complexity and how their workflows work, they'd rather talk about that all day long. But these folks that get trained around product, that understand product, that want to beat customers over the head about their product, uh, they're too knowledgeable about the product. I could see that. Absolutely. I don't want to talk to them. I want somebody who can listen. Right, which gets back to that whole thing about this interpersonal moment, yeah. right? There's there's a moment of of truth. There's a moment of of magic. I call it as you know, when the first time somebody talks to a person. Sure. I, don't, I don't think many most salespeople really Absolutely. understand that preferences are really formed at that point in time. You know, from that first that first interaction, preferences are formed, and preferences have a way of sort of morphing into choices. I mean, you yeah, you may not you may not even understand it from the first the first time you talk to somebody. Is it? You may be in second place from that point forward, and they're still talking to you because, you know, they're, hey, they're going to talk to three vendors regardless. That's right. Absolutely. But you don't know that it's, you're losing. Yeah, it's the old adage, people buy from people that they like or, and uh, people that they trust. And then, uh, you know, that, that manifestation of the company standing in front of them, <laughs> that salesperson uh, becomes their partner. Uh, and they want to be able to have a relationship. Absolutely. Right. So digging a little deeper in this, though. So, you know, looking forward, you know, we sort of brought these issues up about, you know, how the Forrester, how the, you know, transactional mm-hmm. sales can be driven by machines that can handle that. Uh, yeah, sure. what, what does the next three to five years look like? I mean, for B2B sellers selling into the enterprise, what's, what's, you know, what's their life going to be like? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm uh, one of the founders of the Sales Enablement Society. We actually have work groups around the future of sales, the future of salespeople, the definition of sales enablement, uh, and, and really around the idea of uh, the evolution of this uh, you know, conversation that needs to happen as salespeople. And when we look at it as a whole, um, we see this ability to shift from solution selling uh, all about the solution to, you know, obviously this idea of uh, selling an outcome. And when you think about selling a business outcome in B2B sales, uh, that is incredibly difficult because it's even more intangible than a solution. Um, so that's where salespeople need to live and to be comfortable is this idea of an intrinsic value of the intangible and the, of the conceptual world of knowledge work uh, and the idea of uh, changing how people make decisions, how they work together, how they produce value inside of their own company. Uh, that, that's the navigational uh, need that salespeople have today. It's not about product and an actual physical asset. Let me show you a demo anymore. It's around, hey, what problem are you trying to solve? What business outcome are you trying to achieve? Let me help you navigate that. And oh, by the way, in the process, I'm going to help all you guys uh, work together differently inside of your company, almost like a management consultant would. And that's the, the evolution of sales, in my view, is thought leader, subject matter expert, ability to connect the dots, uh, interpersonal skills, absolutely in a one-on-one view, but uh, an ability to facilitate a room full of executives uh, to an outcome in, uh, at a meeting level, and then in, in a aggregate view, be able to produce a business result uh, with them in, in a true partnership. And that's, that's a lot of uh, evolution in the sales world, but it's a natural extension of, you know, it was process, 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 then it became solution, solution, solution. Now it's about outcome, outcome. And in that outcome world, uh, it's it's more about the knowledge work that happens inside of our client companies. Now, with something you said there, though, I was sort of curious, is saying sales is going to help the customer learn how to work together. Yeah. So what do you mean by, what do you mean by that? 
Well, so this is coming out of my own background. I, I've done a lot of work uh, as a salesperson, and and one of the epif- I've had a lot of epiphanies along the way. You know, one of the epiphanies that I had was this idea of taking ownership and and being able to take ownership of my own company and, and my own company's performance, if you will, as a representation of of that company. But the second epiphany that I've had, or maybe it was the twelfth, I don't know who counts them, but <laughs> one of the major epiphanies that I had was this idea that if I do my job correctly and if I'm doing a professional uh, job, I actually will change how my customers work. I mean, the nature of my solutions requires my customers to work differently. This is an intriguing thought because it's not just about flipping a switch on software or installing a, a rack of servers or building a data center, whatever. It's actually about human beings have to work to get together differently because of my solution. And the human element of this is often overlooked. And that's where a lot of things get shot down. The users don't adopt it. The executives don't get it. Uh, the people get in a room to make a buying decision and they can't decide because they don't have the same criteria. They don't have the same expectations. They don't have the same time horizon. They don't even have the same di- name for the initiative or the problem. And that's where I think I've seen the most successful salespeople be uh, you know, able to stand above the rest was, hey, let's get clarity on the business problem. Let's be problem centric here and craft a solution over time. Let's hear, here's a path that we can all take together that brings together the perspective of, you know, not only the operations team, but also finance, uh, maybe even technology, uh, maybe even uh, product groups, et cetera, in order to be successful and actually figure out how we're not not only going to make a decision, but actually deploy our solution and get people to work together differently. And in that view, uh, I've seen a lot of chaos. Uh, on the customer side. Uh, the world of work has changed. Business lines are now being redrawn. Heck, even job titles don't mean the same thing they did uh, six months ago. Uh, there's a lot of confusion in, in many, many companies around who reports to who, what the value of each function is. Uh, we're in a tumultuous time. And uh, salespeople that are able to navigate that to get seven or eight people to actually agree on a problem, agree on a path forward, and agree to figure it out together are incredibly valuable in today's uh, you know business relationship. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm sort of sitting here processing you know, everything you're saying. It's, it's again, I'll sort of go back to some research I've read recently that that's sort of funny. Is is certainly, I think, yeah, things are things are in a state of flux. But on the buyer side, yeah, you know, I think one of the things that that's sort of a, you know, sort of a false false truth that if I can use that that oxymoron that that you oftentimes see sales organizations pursuing is look. Yeah, we need to map out the customer's buying process. And I think what you're describing, what I believe to be the case, is that for the vast majority of, especially complex products bought at the B2B level, is there's no buying process because they don't buy it that often. So, 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 so why would there, why would there be a process? Yeah, and and it's not linear. So this was in, um, I wrote a book called Sales Chaos um, with, with my colleague, Tim Ohi, and we actually mm-hmm. built a sales methodology called Agility Selling, and it's actually customer problem-centric. And if you think about salespeople solving problems, that is very non-linear. Uh, that's not nice and neat seven steps to buying 
Um, and, and I think that nonlinear view of how do we uh, understand the problem? How do we start solutioning against that problem? How do we maybe uh, understand the choices we can make in, in that solution? How do we get funding for that solution? How do we, you know, start testing to see if it even works? Because, you know, it's highly disruptive when we bring things in. You know, that type of view, these are, these are the, the, the problems that, that uh, customers have to wrestle with to bring something in new. And, and that's way beyond, hey, let me, you know, get a punch list of features and functions and do a bake-off. You know, that, that's so far away. But the same, um, by the same time, though, some of this, at least on a software level, some of this bringing new things in is actually, seems like it's become a little bit easier, though, because, you know, there's some research that, I forget who did it, it was Gardner or Forrester or someone was saying, is that, you know, a huge fraction now of, of IT-related decisions are made outside of IT. Yeah. Right, where they used to be the Absolutely. gates. Now it's like, hey, if I want to bring into a you know ninety day trial of this you know, sales application, I don't have to go beg IT to to allow me to do it. We're just going to do it. So it seems like that almost makes it easier easier in some regards. Yeah, you know, and, and my hypothesis, and it's anecdotal, purely anecdotal, is that <laughs> that's, software. That's, so- <laughs> that's, what that's what we deal with. <laughs> well, I, and, yeah. and I say that yeah. I say that seriously because yeah, yeah, I see research. I'll, we'll take Forrester's research for instance. You know that. Yeah, but the death of the salesperson, or you know, almost any other research I see on on sales, it's like, yeah, they're asking people to the people they're giving them the the the, uh, the quote data are self assessing. I mean, there's yeah. no there's no rigor in it, so it's all anecdotal, yeah. added up to percentages mm-hmm. that we then pass off <laughs> as the truth. But anyway, go right. ahead. Yeah, that's a good point, and. Um, this idea of my my guess, my hypothesis is that software um, and technology uh, offers a path forward, uh, and, and it's worth a shot because at least you can see it, you can interact with it, and you can say, okay, given what I've seen here, it's highly likely that I'll have my problem solved. So it kind of shortcuts this idea of how do we tackle an issue or a problem together. But you, it, it doesn't mean it's going to work all the time. You know, it's better to take a shot on what's known versus what's unknown. But salespeople have to get more comfortable dealing with the unknown and helping their customers deal with the unknown uh, in order to inform that buying process. Well, not yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, and I think we, we sort of start that and we sort of create our own problems oftentimes in sales because we start off on this very scripted right. basis more more often than not these days, right? As you know, the salesperson, we've got our six discovery questions and we're going to ask those one through six, irrespective of what answers we get on questions one through five, they're going to get right. questions one through six. And it's to your point is is Mm-hmm. Yeah, we want we want a known linear path when really what the customer is saying in most cases is, yeah, I really don't know. You know how, yeah. how how can you help me? Even when they're very confident, is yeah, I, I shocked salespeople. I was working with one customer. I said, yeah, just don't believe what the customer tells you. It's not that they're deliberately misleading you; it's they don't know. And they so don't they, know what they don't know. So yeah. they're, so they're going to speak with confidence because you're dealing with people that are probably reasonably successful business people, and that's what we do. Right, we we speak with confidence as if we understand what what it is we're doing, or maybe it's just more of a male thing. But as my wife would as my wife would tell me, but but <laughs> but there but are I, people who declare things and and they want to be make they don't want to be vulnerable on right. both sides, and right. so that ends up being marching orders, and uh, you know it's it becomes too late to change it down the road. Yeah, so I yeah. tell salespeople all the time is that's what the customer said, but what are they really saying? Right. Yeah. Where's where's that? There may be a grain of truth in there, but where's the real truth? Because you have to consider their agenda, their motivations. You know, this is why selling is hard because it can't be robotic. Because you're dealing with a very complex 
right. beings that have layer upon layer of of their own agenda, their own intentions that you need to filter out and figure out what's going on. Yeah, and that's why I use the uh, the idea of problems to solve because. Um, that cuts to the chase. Like, well, what is the problem? Can we give it an identity? And then based on the identity that we give it, are we able to share our own perspectives around that? And then what other perspectives might we need to be able to tackle that problem in an ongoing way? Mm-hmm. These are, these are completely radical thoughts for a lot of people. Uh, and, and it becomes, you know, um, a bit crazy because you lose a lot of quote unquote perceived structure uh, because you're now in the ether, like, oh my gosh, I'm dealing with a problem I don't understand, and I don't even know the totality of it. This is freaking me out. Let me just go buy some software, and th- then I can tell my boss that I'm working on it. Right. Uh, th- th- so it, a lot of these things are. I mean, I'm a learning guy by trade. Um, I have a PhD in management, and I studied sales, and I've done a lot of team dynamics, and I've I've looked at how people learn, and our education system is set up as a false. Uh, sense of security because we've siloed everything by topic. So when we get in the workplace, we believe that marketing is separate from sales, which is separate from ops, which is separate from technology. And everybody d- develops deep domain expertise. And in the sales enablement world that I live in, all those gr- groups are required for sales conversations to be successful. You need a you know a heaping tablespoon of a product, a, a dash and sprinkle of skills, and you know a, 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 a couple cups of. Uh, you know, marketing or whatever, and you got to make the the outcome, you know, mix it up. And you don't just have a siloed view of the world anymore. And there's so many people that kind of live and die by their perceived uh, siloed sense of security uh, that it's really hard to get them outside of that and just focus on the problem without bringing their bias, their point of view, beating other, you know, beating other people up over it uh, verbally, et cetera. And, and we've got to let go of those silos. But how do you let go of 30 years of education? How do you let go of, you know, uh, uh, you know, master's degrees or whatever that in marketing um, and, and get beyond that? And I've had to do that. I've, I've got a traditional learning background. I've spent a lot of time getting certified. I, I have an HR background. And I had to suspend all that to basically say, what's required for salespeople to have better conversations? How can I help them be successful? And sure, I'm using my skills, but you know what? They don't care about my you know, learning language and my HR speak. They just want help. Uh, how do I get beyond the, my profession, quote unquote profession, and uh, help them be successful, get out of my silo? And customers have that same challenge too. And salespeople can help them navigate that. They can help be the, uh, you know, silo buster um, in, at, at an initiative level mm-hmm. and uh, help, help people realize that uh, the path forward is together. Because a lot of what we sell today requires that cross-functional view. Right. All right. So let's, let's take a step back and talk about sales enablement. Since you said you're one of the founders of the Sales Enablement Society, so why sure. why is sales enablement sort of I don't want to say the buzzword de jour, but it, it sort of is. But an area <laughs> an area of focus these days, and maybe maybe define yeah. it, maybe define it for listeners because I think that that sure I've talked to people all the time that use the term but really don't know what it is. Sure. Yeah. So the Sales Enablement Society was founded um, by a handful of people in the D.C. area. And back in 2008, we had worked on this idea of um, what is sales enablement. And actually, Forrester published a a pretty, pretty comprehensive definition back then. 
uh, with with Scott Santucci. And and since that time, you know, since 2008, there's been a how do you define sales enablement discussion that's been happening, which is interesting. We keep uh, struggling with what's the definition as as opposed to uh, how do we implement it. It's really interesting. Uh, but uh, right now, the definition is very much a, there's a sales conversation that needs to happen. We need to understand those different sales conversations that customers require, and we need to align the business process behind those sales conversations. So sales enablement is the system required to enable those conversations at scale. Um, some people define it as the right content, the right skills, the right process at the right time, stuff like that. But the bottom line is that uh, a salesperson that's selling an outcome needs to be able to have the right you know, knowledge, the right skills, the right tools um, to be able to be uh, successful in, in that conversation. And that's what sales enablement does. It's an organizing function that brings together marketing, sales, sales training, sales operations, field marketing, technology, uh, and, and even um, management, sales management, to help align them to sales conversations. Because uh, over and over again, uh, CEOs are spending money to equip salespeople to, to have the right conversations, and it doesn't work. And it's because of this uh, siloed view uh, where everybody throws things at salespeople, and it ends up being a jumbled mix of uh, stuff that uh, salespeople have to navigate. It, it's not aligned to actual conversations with a VP of marketing about their you know database sure. uh, or their interactive strategies, et cetera. So. I think for people listening, the key the key term you used you used was it's an organizing function. Yes, I mean it doesn't replace marketing, sales ops, so on and so forth. It is the wrapper. It's a it's the closest to the conversation to align the siloed view internally. It's a you know within a matrixed view. It's definitely not designed to replace those functions. Um, it's supposed to be able to provide visibility to the CEO on what he or she is getting for their investments in those marketing, sales training, sales operations, technology dollars, and what that ROI might be. Almost in a you know productivity lens. Uh, we, we see sales enablement evolving, and we define this in the society as uh, you know the VP uh, of uh, sales productivity, uh, driving efficiencies and effectiveness uh, across the organization to help relieve the complexity that salespeople have. And, and, and in that way, they align to sales leaders uh, to support them and, and help them be successful because sales leaders are often holding the bag for the complexity that's created by the, the teams that are supposed to be helping them be successful. And this always, this is maybe you know, opening another door we don't have time to get into, but, but so that's interesting. I love this whole idea of sales productivity, but in your mind, what, what is sales productivity? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we've wrestled with this in the DC chapter of this society and where we came up, what we came up with was, uh, there's two, there's two sides to the productivity challenge. There's effectiveness and efficiency. And these are not just management buzzwords. Uh, effectiveness is how well you do something, you know, what's your impact. Efficiency is how fast you can do it. Um, and, and uh, you know, how streamlined is it? And if you think about it, you've got to do the right things very well and as fast as possible as a salesperson. Um, so a lot of our marketing content is not very effective. We don't use it in sales conversations. A lot of our sales processes equipped in, you know, our CRM tools are not very efficient. It takes 47 steps to do anything. 
So when you look at the world of selling and, and what I would call um, the business process behind conversations, you know, it's not efficient and effective. It's not streamlined to helping get access to a CEO. Um, in fact, you know, I, I'm, I'm currently uh, in a large uh, Fortune 75 company where I asked a simple question. I said, for our agents and our salespeople to be onboarded, what are all the knowledge management articles that they are going to touch and interact with in order to have a conversation in onboarding within the first 90 days with their customers? And the, the answer I got back was a list of 14,000 knowledge management articles, 14,000 knowledge management articles that a new hire needs to know within their first 90 days. Now, uh, if they don't know it, whose fault is that? Is that the salesperson's fault or is there a little bit of over complexity and over engineering internally around processes and stuff, you know? <laughs> uh, so that's the role of sales productivity. No, no wonder oh, people don't like customer service. That's right. You know, seriously. And, uh, you know, whose fault is that? And, and a lot of times it's the salesperson taking the brunt of, of it and there's no organizing function. Now, you know, I'm not saying that pr process is, is broken or whatever. What I'm saying is each individual silo left to its own devices will put out the most important thing of the week. And that most important thing is not organized against customer conversation. And who has to, who has to carry that burden? It's salespeople who are live on sure. the phone or in a demo or whatever, and they're connecting the dots. So that's what sales enablement has to, to wrestle with. And then sales productivity is, is helping salespeople do that as effectively and efficiently as possible, having those conversations. So is there, what's the measure of sales productivity? That is a great question because oftentimes, um, you know, we're going to default to revenue. We're going to default to sales, et cetera, which is great. But really, it's, <laughs> uh, it's got to be a little bit more evolved than that. Um, we're talking about the evolution of customers. We're talking about the evolution of sales. Um, what we've started wrestling with in, in some of our chapter meetings in the society is this idea of uh, what is the cost and what is the um, overall uh, investment required to enable salespeople in a variety of different sales channels to get the right type of access. And how do we um, quantify that cost? in a way that um, we can understand. And then how do we basically map out uh, the level of effort required to achieve that outcome? And when you look at the cost per the, against the level of effort uh, to achieve that outcome, you can figure out what the investments are. And, and that level of, of measure uh, by out, uh, business outcome uh, is required for us to make any improvements. And it, it's a financial discussion that needs to happen is how are you allocating your resources and investing in sales conversations across these disparate parts and most ceos have no idea um, they have no idea and so that's where sales productivity has to go is to tackle that uh, the financial side of things and you know that requires a cfo conversation and quite frankly a translation uh, between the budgeting process and uh, how that money gets spent so we're still working on that piece of it. And actually, you know, Scott Santucci's leading the charge in that area from a financial perspective to help translate it. And he spends a lot of time with CFOs to, to talk about their cost of sales and how that gets allocated. But really this idea of return on assets, you know, if human capital is an asset, um, it's how much are you investing to get the yield from your salespeople. And that's where we got ahead is to get more visibility into that because a lot of what we do is knowledge work and it's very human, human driven. Yeah, well, I think one of the, the challenges would be for sales enablement is is 
you know, you're saying as an organizing function, basically it's overhead. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. become a required overhead because I can't get everybody else to play together. Right? <laughs> I can't get people to, I, right? I can't yeah, get, I don't I can't know what get, I'm getting from everybody else. Right, I can't get people to share and play nice in the sandbox. So I need to add a layer of overhead, i.e. sales enablement. Not that there can't be value that comes from it, but I mean, just looking at it from sort of a financial standpoint is yeah. in order to enable the salespeople to have the tools they need to have the conversations that we want them to have. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think about it, what functions owns the uh, you know business process behind conversations? Nobody. Um, what business, what, what function owns the quote unquote supply chain behind, you know, getting access to executives, nobody. So, you know, it might be over time that the sales enablement function uh, doesn't just become an overhead function. Uh, it actually becomes an arbitrator of the budget. Uh, and, and then, um, and, oh, and it, you know, boy, you sales know. and marketing would love that. Right. Right. But, it, but it's interesting, right? Because it, it, we hear all this sales aligning to marketing, marketing aligning to sales, sales training, 47 different flavors of it. And sure. which, which, you know, and all that's kind of a moot point because if it doesn't align to customer conversations, then what are we doing? So why, why are all these, why would we have to have all this infighting? <laughs> why, why can't we um, trust that through the process of, of understanding our customers that we're going to apply the right resources in the right way? When you take the sales funnel, if you as a as a, a quick shortcut, if you're stuck at you know filling the funnel, let's put more investments there. Marketing would like that, but maybe they're having fine uh, you know ROI on getting people in the funnel, but they're not converting, and that's a sales challenge. Why not invest more in the sales team then? Marketing should be okay with that, you know, or else what are we doing? I mean, you know what I mean? I'm not yelling at you, but it's like, yeah. well, Yo, go ahead, yell at me. That's fine. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm getting a little emotional now, but it's like, come on. Well, if the goal is to convert sales and if we have the math and we have the, the construct and everybody agrees to it up front and uh, why not uh, allocate our dollars and where the uh, sales process is stuck and uh, why not hold it accountable for the CRM that gets implemented? Uh, when we look at sales velocity and sales productivity uh, and how clunky it might be to use and, and, and how, how uh, it's not freeing up our salespeople's admin time. You know, these are, these are legitimate questions. If I'm running a business and I want to know how my uh, most important resource is supported um, right now, it's a bit of a black hole. Well, and I think, yeah, part of, I think what ultimately hopefully becomes part of the sales enablement charter is as a complexity killer, because what we're doing is we're creating, yeah. we're creating a lot of this complexity. Un- oh, un- unnecessarily, right? I mean, unnecessarily, because it's about our product, and we have a we have a system change, so that requires more screenshots, and then we have a new legal requirement, so now we got to train everybody. It's all about us. Well, but on top of that, too, is is we've got yeah. this over the last five ten years. I had this huge starting with CRM. We have a huge influx of technology into the sales and marketing space. Yeah. And yeah. And we have no idea whether we're getting an ROI off of almost any yeah. of it. I, um, I just audited, because um, I'm in a sales enablement role, um, I just audited the number of systems that my uh, reps have to be in, and mm-hmm. it's over 25 different systems. <laughs> and they have to navigate uh, nine of them in the context of a phone call, a live call. Uh, so, yeah, I would say that uh, we've over-engineered uh, some things. Well, I love that. Uh, research somebody referred to me that I think have been done with with a bunch of tech startups as, um, or tech companies as a survey of the number of apps the SDRs are using. And <laughs> what right. they did, though, is they surveyed managers and then surveyed the reps. And the managers thought it was five to six, and it was 13 that the reps yeah. were using. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, 
Uh, yeah. you know, we create this complexity because we got this fear of missing out because we're incredibly good at marketing the latest, greatest sales technology that we need to use that's going to have increase your sales rate, your conversion rate by 300%. Right. Um, and yep. so everybody runs out and gets it and gets added into the pile. Yeah, and a lot of those decisions are based on, well, you know, our, our internal construct. Well, we did this, it's, we did that, we need this, we need that. Um, but what does the customer need? Well, exactly. Um, and no one, no one asked that question. Nobody seems to be asking that question. And, <laughs> and when you start looking for the research on what customers think, uh, where, where is that research? When you start asking sales training companies for what do buyers think of the sales process? How come you can't get that? When you, when you uh, look at uh, lead gen platforms, what's the, you know, where's the impact from the customer side about how this was so super awesome and helped me understand that I should call these guys. And I mean, there's zero, customer or that helped me make a decision about which, which product to use right yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing that to me is the huge disconnect that it's super massive that I, that I think that sales enablement can help is that is again we have all this influx of technology and these some of these tools are fantastic i use some of them but but they don't help the customer make a decision no, we're in love I, with them we're in love with them we're all using them but how are they helping the customer well it, maybe some of your listeners have been to a salesforce conference and i'm not picking on that but i'm just saying that that's the world's largest you yeah, know, sales dreamforce, vendor yeah. company dreamforce and um when you go to dreamforce it's about who's got the loudest megaphone uh to yell at you know potential buyers it, it is ironic to me that you have to stand out by being the loudest most verbose you know to draw attention to yourself it's a bit crazy what are we doing well, right. Um, of course, so, if you've been on the show floor at Dreamforce, you know why they need megaphones. So yeah, I know that is crazy though. <laughs> it's a, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a, a you know uh, a, a bit ironic that to be, you have to be that loud to be heard. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So the um, but the uh, you bring up great points about this idea of simplifying and what if we could simplify around customer conversations and that's the promise of sales enablement and. You know, I'm leading a research project right now in my own company where we're actually modeling out customer calls and why do people call and what uh, what uh, queue they end up in in our voice response system. And you think that that would be easy to do, but it's not because not everybody internally can agree on what the queue names are and not everybody can agree on why people are showing up and they can't agree on a construct for measuring um, that. And it's interesting. Uh because they can't agree on how their customers sure. view what their customer view is, so that's the research we're doing to to basically say, can we get to a, a construct here so that we can get more empathy around how our customers are showing up, and then can we develop uh, scenarios that that we can equip reps with? So it's less about clicking around in an order entry tool and more about understanding the problem that the customer has and how you might navigate that problem. How radical! It's really radical. In fact, it's quite disruptive. Yeah, I know. Um, Let's think about yeah. the customers. That becomes the yeah. most disruptive thing. That yeah, it's, but you would think, and everybody agrees with it. But then it gets super hard, sure. and you've got to have the right executive leadership that buys into this concept of my customers are so important that I'm willing to invest by giving this the resources and time it needs to be successful and not just try to get it done because these are complex problems and we need to do it thoroughly. We need to be very deliberate and we need to be, you know, uh, we need to bring in a bunch of different perspectives and that requires time. Yeah. And we ha and, and, and the most precious commodity inside of any company is time and how they're changing, transforming requires that, that, that white space. And that's another concept that we've explored 
in the society. There's a book called The Chaos Manifesto, and uh, you know, it's this idea that, that the U.S. Army was so entrenched in its way of doing things right. that they had to inject white space. And I think most companies, to be successful in selling, need more white space initiatives, and yeah. uh, they need to keep quit uh, micromanaging sales and let's just focus on the customers. Where's your innovation team to focus on conversations and how do you staff that team to get the right type of marketing support, technology support, operational support, and the freedom to engage uh, to sell the outcome instead of just pushing a product. And that seems easy, but it's radically, radically different. And people go crazy. <laughs> well, yeah, and that, that is a whole other conversation you and I can have. I look forward to having with you about okay. <laughs> about um, yeah, definitely. The yeah. change, the change management, the, the, if you the white, will. Well, the white, the, space, white space. the white space. I mean, this is the stop the micromanagement and teach your salespeople how to actually sell. Um, yeah, teach them how to think. They're not robots. Yeah. yeah. And the gap between customers and your your company is massive, and salespeople are asked to go into that gap, and do you don't even understand it. So let's yeah. give it some room to grow here. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we'll definitely do that. All right. Okay. Well, Brian, it's been great talking to you. And um, tell people how they can connect with you and learn more about what you're doing. Absolutely. Um, I'm on, uh, obviously, Twitter, Dr. Brian Lambert, and uh, LinkedIn. You can find me, um, Brian Lambert, with uh, Charter Communications. And if they want to get involved with their local Sales Enablement Society chapter? Absolutely. Go to sesociety.org. And we have our big national conference coming up here at the end of October, and I look forward to seeing everybody in Texas. Ah, okay. I may go. Absolutely. All right. We can do another podcast there. We'll do a, lot, a bunch a of podcasts of there. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we have studios where we're getting. Uh, the University of Houston has a sales lab where they right. teach sellers, and uh, we're happy to do that. Absolutely. Okay. We'll talk about that offline. All right, friends, thanks for joining us again today. hope you enjoyed this conversation. Come back, join us again for our next episode of Accelerate. Uh, until then, if you get a chance, go to iTunes, subscribe, leave a review for us. We want to know what we can do to make this more valuable use of your time. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. 